Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, that you inspired this Word. This is your breathe-out Word, and you gave it to certain men that you set aside to record it for us. And it has been taken care of, Lord. You overseen the process of recording it, of maintaining it, of um, copying it, Lord. And we're just so blessed with so many copies, just so many copies, Hebrew, um, Greek as well. And so um, we just thank you for that, Lord. And um, we can just trust that what we have here in the English language is Um, your accurate message. So your message has come through 100 uh, percent. And so we thank you for your word. And we do pray, Lord, for you to continue the transformation uh, process in our lives. And I do pray for the gift of teaching and that you will help me, Lord, to decrease while you increase. May you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Genesis 32, verses 22 through 32. The title of the study is Wrestling with God, Wrestling with God. Uh, for me personally, uh, never been on the wrestling team. You've you know, heard different stories that I've shared depending on the study. If it fit in the study, I, I share stories. I don't just go out of my way to just share things. But uh, you, you've heard that I played a little football in high school and ran track in high school and a little bit in college. And I used to rap and all that stuff. So, but, but one thing I've never done is uh, participate on a wrestling team. But I can say this, that it, it sure does look like a lot of fun. It looks like a fun sport. Um, however, it doesn't look that fun to get your face rubbed on the mat. I, I see some of the guys with the, what they call the cauliflower. That doesn't look fun. But, but overall, it looks like a fun sport. Uh, but what I have done, I have wrestled my brothers, my sons, cousins, friends just for fun. In fact, I have one older brother, and my older brother used to try wrestling moves on me, and, and like a, a crazy person, I would let him try the moves on me. Uh, Darrell, let me, let me get you in the figure four. Let me, let, let me see if I can do it. I said, okay, well, if I say stop, stop. And every time he would try a move, he would keep going. Even if I said, that's, a older, that's what they do. And so we, we've done that. I mean, there were fun times. Um, like I said, wrestle cousins. In fact, he's not here tonight, but, but Pastor Tony and I, we used to wrestle each other even as adult men with children. When we used to live in California, he used to, Pastor Tony used to come over to my mother-in-law's house and in her living room, it was just all empty. It was just carpet. You know, everything was empty. You know, my oldest son was, was really young at the age, I don't know, probably three, four, whatever the case was, but he was young. And, and so I remember uh, Pastor Tony and I, we just do this multiple times. We'll be wrestling and sweating and tossing each other around. And my oldest son thought we were fighting for real. So he would start crying every time we had to let him know we're not fighting. We're just, we're just having fun. So, um, but yeah, we, so it, it's fun to participate in. But like I said, I've never been involved with the wrestling team. And I bring up the topic of wrestling for obvious reasons. Uh, the title of the study, once again, is Wrestling with God. Um, And in our study, what we're going to see is the most interesting wrestling match that has ever occurred. Uh, But we're not just going to see a wrestling match, but but we're also going to take away some spiritual truths because that's why we're here to hear what God wants to say to us through a timely word. And so we begin in uh, verse 22 in Genesis chapter 32. And it says, and he arose that night, speaking of Jacob, and he took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons, and he crossed or he waited over the ford of Jabbok. He took them, sent them over the brook or stream, and he sent over what he had. And now in verses 13 through 16, which is prior to our study tonight, uh, we find that Jacob had sent droves of animals ahead as a present for his twin brother and older brother, Esau. 
And so remember, he wanted to kind of, he wanted to appease Esau. He wanted Esau to accept him, to show that he forgave him for uh, being deceitful in the past. And so uh, just based on uh, what we've seen in verses 13 through 16 in the previous study, um, as I mentioned before, it looks like Jacob divided the gifts to Esau into five separate droves. First, the goats, the sheep, the camels, the cattle, and then the donkeys. And so later that night, um, we see here in our study um, tonight that uh, Jacob sent his two wives ahead now. So after those droves were gone, those gifts for Esau were gone. Now he sent his two wives, Leah and Rachel. And if you're new or visiting, they're sisters. And then he also sent uh, the two female servants, Zilpah and Bilhah. And so he had children by all four of these women. And he sent his 11 sons and whatever else he had over the Jabbok, which is a river on the east side of the Jordan River, and it runs from east to west. And by the way, it was halfway between the Dead Sea and also uh, the Sea of Galilee. And it was located somewhere near uh, the mountains of Moab, speaking of this river, uh, Jabbok. And as far as Mitzvah is concerned, because we see in chapter 31 of Genesis, um, where he made that covenant with his uncle as, and father-in-law, um, Laban. Um, we, we see there from Mizpah that is just south of Mizpah, speaking of this river, and it f- feeds or it flows into um, the Jordan River. And so this is the Javok River running east and west. And so we see that Jacob was strategic in what and who went ahead of him because he didn't know Um, how Esau was going to react. He didn't know what to expect from him because it was about 20 years ago uh, that he left home uh, fearful for his life because Esau, his twin brother, wanted to kill him because Jacob pretended to be Esau and he, quote unquote, um, deceived his dad into blessing him instead of Esau. And so Esau was like, he stole my blessing from my dad and so I'm, I'm going to kill him. And so you can go back and you can review that story. Um, and, and so he doesn't know how Esau is going to react 20 years later. But all I know is that he was hoping to be accepted by his brother, that, 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 that the past was left in the past and all will be good. And so, of course, we see that Jacob's family went ahead of him. They moved from the north to the south of this Jabbok River. And it appears that he stayed alone on the north side of the Jabbok. And so what we see here um, is, is, is a spiritual nugget that we're going to um, take uh, from this part of the study. Because what we see here is that, first of all, that those closest to Jacob's heart went last. He, he sent those droves first, but those closest to his heart, the, the wives, the, the, the servant women, he had children with his children and so forth, the rest of his belongings, those, they, they went last. And so here, um, I, I just had something impressed upon my heart just for um, husbands and, and fathers. And, and these are leaders, of course, of our homes, and we should be leaders of our homes. And so what we see here, just based on what we've seen from Jacob, is that we should do the best we can as husbands and fathers to protect our families and obviously to provide for them and to keep the families intact or together. And I'm not just talking about physical protection and things like that, but I'm talking about spiritual as well, because yes, we're the head of the home, the husbands are, but also we're to be the spiritual leaders, the pastors, the priests, if you will, of the home. And so I take something from what I see from Jacob here and seeing that those who were closest to his heart have went last. 
And so just as a reminder for, for husbands and, and fathers specifically, um, may we not, as fathers and husbands, neglect our families just for the pursuit of money, just uh, for the pursuit of personal goals. And, and, and of course, we know that we need money. We need the bills to be paid. We need gas in the cars. The cars need to be fixed. The mortgages, the rent need to be paid. Things in the house needs to be fixed. The children need shoes. The children need various things. And it's okay to have personal goals, but not to the point where we're neglecting our families. And so I see that these who were close to Jacob's heart, you can, you can kind of see that his protection of them here. But now at this point, he is left alone, which the following verse will reiterate. Because in verse 24, it says that Jacob was left alone. He is all by himself now on the north side of this Jabbok River, while his family is on the south side of it. And it says, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. In other words, until the sun came up. So that is a very long wrestling match. And in verse 25, it says, now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, speaking of this mysterious man with the capital M, he touched or he struck the socket of Jacob's hip. And the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And so here we see in verses 24 through 26 that this mysterious man with the capital M appears out of nowhere. And he's the one who starts or initiates this wrestling match with Jacob while he was all alone, while he was on the north side by himself of the Jabbok River. They wrestled for an extremely long time. Jacob, this man here, this man who God would use to bring the 12 nations of Israel, this man whom God will use Um, to be one of the forefathers or ancestors of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Uh, We see here that, first of all, Jacob was used to running, that he was used to, to just leaving. For example, he left home, and I mentioned this earlier, he left home to go to Haran to his uncle Laban in order to escape from his brother Esau. And then we saw that he secretly left um, Laban and Haran in order to head back to Canaan. But here, at this point, he was forced to wrestle. There's no running away. There's no command for him to leave anywhere. No, he is forced to wrestle. And this man is the one who started it. And so he's tussling with them until the sun came up. As far as we are concerned, uh, some of us have been in the position that Jacob has been in because we know, of course, that Jacob at one point ran away. He ran away in fear, in fear of his life. And that's the same for some of us. Some of us have been on a run before because we, we, we feared confrontation. Uh, we, we don't want to face the mess that we've created. And so we, we just run away from it. And then some of us leave a situation like Jacob because the Lord had told us to leave. Just like the Lord told uh, Jacob to go ahead and leave Laban, leave Haran and go back to Canaan, the promised land, your home. And so some of us have been in that situation where maybe the Lord said it's time to go. But then there are times like Jacob when we just cannot um, help but to wrestle, that we must just take on someone or something head on. We have no commandment to leave and move on. Uh, Also, it's not a situation where we're able to run away. There's nowhere to run to, but, but there's nowhere for us to run. And so we must face it head on at that point. For example, like working out some type of differences maybe you have within the family or at a job site or maybe with the 
college professor at school, whatever it may be, or dealing with some type of sin. And so Jacob here has nowhere to go. He, he is forced to wrestle. And so since Jacob, this forefather of the Messiah, since he was not quitting, the man had to knock his, his hip joint out of socket. But yet and still, Jacob showed his strength and he continued to hold on. And he told the man, this mysterious man, that, that I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And just by that request that I won't let you go unless you bless me. By that request, we can see that Jacob knew that there was something different about this man, that this was no ordinary man, that he was extraordinary. And so in verse 27, it says, so he said to him, so this man said to Jacob, what is your name? He said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. In other words, you've exerted yourself against both God and men and you have prevailed. You've, you've won. And so we're going to talk about what that means before the study is over. But we know the men, the people that he has struggled with. Uh, for example, um, not physically maybe, but with Esau, they're, they're at odds. He's on, on a run for his life because he deceived his father Isaac. And so you know the story there. He, he um, tussled in a way with, with Laban, his uncle, because his uncle, his, who's also his father-in-law, cheated him, changed his wages multiple times. And so you can kind of see his struggle with people there. And even at one point, his his wife that he really loves, the, the wife that he really, if it were up to him, only should have had his favorite wife, Rachel. At one point, they butted heads because she was upset that Leah was having children, but she was not getting pregnant. She wasn't having children. And so uh, Jacob was like, am I in the place of God? I, I'm not in the place of God. I, I just can't, uh, you know, obviously two people have to come together, but it's not up to him for life to be in your womb. And so he pretty much told her that. So you saw his struggle with people. And now here we see that this man is identified as God. And so he's struggling with God. And so this man, in other words, was a physical and tangible manifestation of God. Uh, some people refer to this as a theophany a physical and tangible manifestation of God, not God in all of his glory and his, in all of his essence, but it's a physical and tangible manifestation of the Lord. Or some may refer to this as a Christophany. This is a, a Christophany is, of course, a pre-incarnate um, appearance of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. So Jesus, before he became the, the babe lying in the manger, this is, this is him making an Old Testament appearance. And so because Jesus is God and he is the man in this text, uh, we know that, of course, he could have totally destroyed Jacob if he wanted to, because we see that he, he touched or he struck his hip and, and he just knocked it out of joint. So, so he could have done away with him as he wanted to. And so he allowed this struggle to go on. So we know that the Lord, of course, has his reasons, has his purposes for the things that happen or for the things that are allowed or the things that he brings into our lives. He has a purpose. And so this man, first of all, is now identified. This is the Lord. Again, I believe this is the pre-incarnate Christ in the Old Testament. Uh, but something that you see from um, this struggle here is that Jacob got a new name and his new name is Israel. And Israel could mean prince with God, governed by God or God prevails. And, and by the way, as you continue to do your studies, you see that scholars don't necessarily agree on the exact meaning. But but one that you do hear often is prince uh, with God or governed by God. And in Hebrew, by the way, the name Israel sounds like he struggled 
with God, which is, of course, what he's doing in the text that we're studying. Now, when we talk about a name, a name was more than something uh, someone used to identify someone with. Uh, when we talk about names, especially when we read the Bible, it's, it has more to do with that entire person, with their character. So there's more to it than just um, an identification marker. You see, in the Bible, a person's name could be tied to their, as I mentioned, character. It could be tied to the circumstances surrounding the birth um, of that person. Um, it could even be, uh, be involve the hope. Um, that a parent has regarding that child or even what that child will become. And in this case, we see that Jacob's name change to Israel had something to do with something that he did. He struggled with God. So, so it can also have something to do with who he is now. Of course, if you use the interpretation uh, prince with God. And so I like the fact that God that God in this human form here, Christ in this human form, um, before we arrived at the New Testament, I-, I love that he asked Jacob his name. And it wasn't that um, he didn't know his name for, for this is God, uh, but-, but he wanted to bring something out of him uh, because all his life, Jacob has been Jacob, which means hill catcher or supplanter. You see, when you grab a heel or grabbing a heel, that's a Hebrew saying or idiom for tricking someone. And so throughout his whole life, he was known as a heel catcher or a trickster, so to speak. And so the Lord asked him, what is your name? So trickster, I'm a, I'm a um, heel catcher. That's my name. But now the Lord was like, no, He said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, no longer heel supplanter, no longer, in other words, trickster, but prince with God or governed by God. That is who you are now. And as believers, as people who have repented and put their trust in Jesus Christ, I just want to share with you, and I know you may already know this, but it's, but it's worth hearing over and over again, that as believers, as Christians, as the bride of Christ, we have a new identity in Christ. The person that we used to be is no longer us because the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 6, for example, that we have been crucified with Christ. In other words, the, the old man has been crucified with him. That old man, that old us that we used to be is, is, is dead. And so the new us should be living that resurrected life, that, that, that life in which we allow Christ to live through us, through the Holy Spirit. And so now as believers, we have become a new creation. And so I, I kind of cringe when I hear things like this. I, I'm a gay Christian or uh, this Christian or whatever. Uh, um, um, you, you don't hear that with anything else. I'm a murderer Christian. I'm a, I'm a thieving Christian. I'm a raping Christian. I'm a this Christian. I'm a whatever Christian. Put whatever sin lifestyle, sinful lifestyle there and say Christian. It doesn't mix like oil and water does not mix. And that's because we are a new creation. And so we have to understand that if we're truly in Christ, if we truly repent it and put our trust in him for salvation, that that old us is gone. The old things have passed away. Behold, uh, everything has been made new because we are a new creation right? According to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. In fact, this is what it says in the scriptures. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. In other words, you switch teams. You see, at first, I used to be a USC 
uh, Trojans fan in regards to college football. But then when my son grew up and he got a football scholarship to Stanford, I switched teams and I became a Stanford fan because my son is on it. Well, he's graduated now, but he was on the football team. And so it's like that spiritually for us. We have switched teams. We have been crucified with Christ. We are no longer on the enemy's team. We are on Christ's team. And guess what? Not only that, it is not... I who live, no longer I who live. I'm not just living for myself anymore. That old me is gone. I have denied myself and I'm following Christ and Christ, Jesus Christ lives in me and the life that I now live in this flesh, in this body, I live by faith. I'm no longer trusting in my works. I'm not, no longer trusting in my own devices. I'm no longer trusting in these self-help books or some people, horoscopes and these various things. But I live by faith in the Son of God, and the Son of God is none other than Jesus Christ, the Word of God, according to John chapter 1. And this same God in the flesh, Jesus, He is the one who loved me. He is the one who gave Himself for me. And so the very least I can do is allow Him to live His life through me, through the power of the Holy Spirit, which means that I need to take a back seat, which means that I need His enabling grace to help me to surrender so that his life through me can shine through so that my thoughts will be more like Jesus's thoughts. My words will be more like Jesus's words. My actions will be more like Jesus's actions. The love that I thought I had will be more like Jesus's love. I've been crucified with Christ. We are a new creation. We have this new identity. I want to drive home that point. Just like now, Jacob has now this new identity. He's gone once again from Jacob to Israel. In verse 29, it says, Then Jacob asked, saying, Tell me your name, I pray. And he said, Why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him or declared a blessing on Jacob there. And so obviously this man, a Christophany, he, he turns down this request by, by Jacob. Or he doesn't, he just evades the question or, or he asks him a question, but really doesn't expect an answer, I believe. At least that's one of the views. But, but God in human form, we see that he didn't just share his name with Jacob, but he did declare a blessing Upon him as Jacob requested. And so we kind of see a similar response to Manoah. Fast forward from here to the book of Judges, right? Judges 13, verse 18. And so Manoah, Samson's father, he asked for the name of the angel of the Lord and also a Christophany, an Old Testament appearance of Jesus. And the angel of the Lord said to him, why do you ask my name? Seeing it is wonderful. And so again, he didn't just give his name to him. He said, why do you ask my name? Seeing that it is wonderful. In other words, um, the angel of the Lord there speaking to Manoah saying that his name is beyond understanding. And so that if you look behind the word wonderful, that's, that's what it means, beyond understanding. And so it says, and so in other words, it could be in that type of context that the man is asking Jacob this question, uh, why do you ask about my name? So it could be in that context. And so that is an option. And so if that's uh, the way to see this verse, then that does um, have some support biblically because it says that uh, there are some things that God, about God, that we won't understand. And so that is in the Bible, that is scriptural, according to Deuteronomy 29, 29. For example, there in that verse, it says that the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Of course, uh, Moses was speaking to the children of Israel here, but, but there you see a principle that there are some secret things that belong um, to our God. And so uh, when the angel of the Lord spoke to Manoah in Judges thirteen eighteen, um, you see that it was sort of a secret. His name is Wonderful. And once again, could be an option of, of, you know, what this question could mean. Why is it that you ask about my name? Um, but also to support that point, Revelation nineteen twelve. this is the second coming of Jesus. 
when we come back with him, uh, we being the saints, the church, it says his eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. In other words, these are diadems um, and diadems are royalty crowns. It's a symbol of royalty um, and sovereignty. So he is the king of kings, the Lord of lords. And it says that he had a name written that no one knew except himself. And so there's an aspect, in other words, because remember, I said that a name is just more than something you identify someone with. So in other words, um, with this name written on him that no one knew except himself. um, In other words, there's some things about God's person, his, 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 his character that that he has not yet revealed to us. And so what we ought to do as believers is is take what the Bible says about what he's revealed about himself and learn that, receive that, believe that. And so may we get to know him more, not only through what it says in the Bible, but also by experience, through a personal relationship with him. But then another possible meaning of this question Again, the same question, why is it that you ask about my name, is that it is rhetorical. It's possible that it's a rhetorical question. And I brought that up um, slightly before, a little earlier in the study. It could be a rhetorical question. In other words, that Jacob should already know who he is. Uh, And for example, because when he had the dream about the stairway or the ladder, Um, reaching up to heaven, the angels going up and down. God identified himself to him as Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. He revealed that to him in a dream, Genesis 28, 13. And Lord, when you see it in all caps, um, when you look behind it in Hebrew, it's it's the tetragrammaton, uh, Y-H-W-H. And it's Y-H-W-H because when the Hebrew text was written, the original Hebrew text from which we get the Old Testament. And so not only is the Hebrew, uh, we see Hebrew text um, in the Old Testament, but we also see a little Aramaic, by the way. Uh, But most of it is in Hebrew. Uh, But Hebrew, when it was written at the time, it had no vowels. And so um, there are just some things we don't know the exact pronunciation of. And so it was Y-H-W-H, tetragrammaton. And so um, it was written without vowels, but the system of the vowels for the Hebrew text was added a little later. And so when you talk about the tetragrammaton, the Y-H-W-H, um, it's just referring to the self-existent one or the eternal one. And some, of course... Um, you know, uh, pronounce it as Yahweh, and then some add a third syllable, Yehovah, Yehovah. And so, you, you know, you have these um, different ideas of what it could be. But then you have God here because he revealed himself, first of all, to him as Lord God of Abraham, your father. And so you have the Tetragrammaton plus God. Behind God is the word Elohim, which stresses his majesty and power. And so if this question that this, that, that this man, who we know is God now, if this question is meant to be rhetorical, then yes, Jacob, you have been exposed to him. You should know who I am, in other words. So why do you ask my name? But also remember that Jacob also swore to him because he referred to him as the fear of his father, Isaac, back in Genesis 31, when he made that covenant with Laban. But then, too, even earlier in Genesis 32, verses 9 through 12, we see that Jacob prays to this God, to this God of the Bible. And so it could be and it looks like it could be possibly a real possibility that this question, why is it that you ask about my name is rhetorical because because maybe he should already know. And so in verse 30, it says, so Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he says, I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved or spared. And so how did Jacob and what sense did Jacob see God face to face? Well, he's seen him face to face in the sense that he wrestled God who came in the form of a man. 
Now, I believe, once again, it's the Christophany, the son of God, Jesus, in the Old Testament. And so he's seen him face to face in the sense that he had a personal encounter with God. He did not see God, by the way, in all of his glory or splendor, because the scriptures teach that no one that is on this side of eternity in these non-glorified bodies can see God's face in all his glory and live. Now, now before you think in your mind, but what about Moses? It says that he spoke to God face to face. It's a saying, it's, it's sort of an idiom. It means that he spoke to God, in other words, in an intimate way. In other words, he spoke to God in a direct way. But, but no man on this side of eternity and non-glorified body has seen him in all his glory. And speaking of Moses, by the way, in Exodus 33, verse 20, God said to Moses, you cannot see my face for no man shall see me and live. That is, in these non-glorified bodies on this side of eternity. Then fast forward to Jesus, the son of God. In human flesh, John 1.18, he says that no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father, he has declared him. In other words, the, the only begotten son, Jesus Christ, when he came in a human body, he unfolded the teaching, the revelation of who God the father is, that the God we don't see at this time, the father, he, he revealed to us who God is. And so that's what we, that's what it means when it says he has declared him. And so what were people seeing in the Old Testament? Most likely a, some type of representation of God's presence or a Christophany like we see here in tonight's study in Genesis 32. The Bible also says that God dwells in unapproachable light. And that's according to first Timothy chapter six, verse 16. He dwells in unapproachable light. And so we cannot see his face in all his glory and live in these non-glorified bodies. But there is good news because the scriptures tell us that one day we will see God's face. Revelation 22 verse 4, it says, and they shall see his face. They, that includes all of us, believers of all time, we shall see his face, God's face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. Uh, it symbolizes ownership. Our, his name will be in our foreheads. And so this is way past, of course, right now we're church age. This is past the tribulation period, which lasts seven years. This is past the millennial kingdom, uh, which is a thousand year period where Christ will visibly and physically reign on this earth and will help him. So this is past that. And this is what you call the eternal state or the eternal order, how things are going to be for eternity in Revelation 22, 4. We are in our glorified bodies. Now we're able to see his face. And that is going to be a great time for all of us. We get to see the one who created us. We get to see the Christ who died for us. Uh, we get to see the one who loved us, who protected us from things that we didn't even know that we needed protection from. We get to see the face of the one who poured his grace upon us, the one who poured his mercy upon us, the one who blessed us abundantly, the one who allows us to serve with him on this side of heaven. One day we shall see his face. In verses 31 and 32, and we're back in Genesis 32, it says, just as he, this is Jacob, of course, just as he crossed over Penuel, which is a variant of Peniel, it says that the sun rose on him, and now he limped on his hip. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank. In other words, they don't eat the tendon of the hip or the thigh muscle, which is on the hip socket, because he, that is the, the Lord, struck the socket of Jacob's hip and the muscle that shrank, that shrank. or on this hip tendon that connects the thigh socket. Um, if you read the New Living Translation, it, it reads this way um, in regard to verse 32. 
It says, even today, the people of Israel don't eat the tendon near the hip socket because of what happened that night when the man strained the tendon of Jacob's hip. And so that note there in verse 32, uh, this is most likely a note that Moses added indicating that the children of Israel don't eat what is probably the portion of the hindquarter um, that contains um, the sciatic nerve. And so what we see in verse uh, 31, just going back to that verse real quick, is that after this wrestling match, uh, Jacob came out of it. First of all, we know with the name change, he came out of the wrestling match with the Lord with the blessing. And he also came out of this wrestling match with God with a permanent limp. And it's kind of hinted at, by the way, in Hebrews 11, verse 21, because it says, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, he blessed each of the sons of Joseph and he worshiped, leaning on the top of his staff or walking stick. And so, um, you know, this limp was permanent. He came out of this wrestling match that way. And so now here he is already fearful of his brother Esau, already alone. And now on top of that, he's worn out with this long wrestling match, still thinking about his family, I'm sure. But now he has this permanent limp and he still has to meet Esau, his twin brother, for all he knows, still wants to kill him. But many of us have something in common with Jacob because many of us have to wrestle with God over many things. You may have wrestled with God maybe mentally, emotionally, maybe in your prayers you've wrestled with God. And, and maybe there's some of us who are still in that place of wrestling with God, the God of the Bible. We're wrestling with him. It seems like mental torture for us, emotional torture. Our prayers are just, we're just striving in prayers, wrestling with God. So like I said, even you, either you've been there or maybe you're still there. You see, when we wrestle with God, sometimes we wrestle in times of fear, like Jacob. He was already afraid, but now this man who we know as God comes and wrestles with him. So in times of fear, sometimes we wrestle with the Lord. Lord, I know that you said we're supposed to trust you, that you are a protector, but but I'm fearful. I'm, I'm wrestling with that. And some of us wrestle with the Lord in times of confusion when things are supposed to work out a certain way, but they're just not working out. And so we wrestle with God in those times of confusion, in the times of anger. We're angry with, with everybody. We're really angry at ourselves. But, but when we display that anger, it's, it's, it's outwards towards everyone else. And so we wrestle with God sometimes in our time of anger, in our times of frustration. Sometimes we wrestle with God because maybe there's a Bible verse that, that you read or maybe a Bible teacher shared with you and, and, and you know it's true. You're convicted by it, but your flesh just disagrees. Oh, as a believer, your spirit agrees, your new nature agrees, but your flesh, that old you that want to rise up from time to time, he disagrees with that verse. You begin to wrestle with God because you can't make it fit logically according to human or worldly logic. You want to make it fit in. You're wrestling with God. Maybe some of us wrestle with God because... We're trying to find out God's will for our lives and, and we just can't seem to understand what his will is. What, is. what do you want me to get from this situation? What is your will for me in this situation? What is your will for, for this ministry? I know you called me to this or that or allowed me to use this spiritual gift, but what is your will? And you're just wrestling with the Lord. And then when you learn about it, now you're wrestling with the Lord because you're trying to come to terms with God's will for you. Maybe God called you to to move to another place at least or, or go somewhere for a time to do missionary work. And you're just wrestling with the Lord about that. You're wrestling with the Lord while we're praying for something that we really believe is important, but we don't seem to be getting an answer 
In other words, you're being persistent in prayer, which, by the way, Jesus taught. He taught to be persistent in prayer in Luke 18, verses 1 through 7. But I'll say this about that as well, that once God gives you an answer about what you've been praying for, then stop praying about it because he's not going to change his mind. But maybe we're praying about something. We're being persistent. Kind of like Jacob in Genesis 32, 26, where he says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Persistence. See, physically, physically, I know it said he prevailed, speaking of Jacob, but physically, we see that he lost. His hip was placed out of joint. So physically, he, he lost, but he was still holding on. But yet the scripture says he prevailed. In fact, there's a scripture in Hosea that mentions this encounter. Hosea 12, verses 3 through 4, at least half of that. It should say 4A, not 4B. But it says, he he took his brother by the heel in the womb, and in his strength, he struggled with God. Yes, he struggled with the angel. Notice how the angel and God using interchangeably here because it's talking about a Christophany, the Old Testament appearance of Christ, and Christ is God. Yes, he struggled with the angel, this capital M man, and he prevailed. He wept, and he sought favor from him. And so Jacob, this is what happened. He, he hung in there. He hung in there in, in that wrestling match until God defeated him. So God, of course, won the battle. Technically, knock at his hip joint out of place. But, but Jacob, he still held on. and that, he prevailed. He, he held on. And so this man, Jacob, really lost physically. But he won spiritually. He lost physically. He lost the battle. But he won long term in a spiritual way because at the end of the day, the Lord blessed him. You see, Jacob lost his normal gait. In other words, he he lost his normal way that he used to walk. Maybe he used to walk in a cool way. Like some of you, you gentlemen, just so smooth with your walk. You walk so smooth, it looks like you're moonwalking forwards. If you know what that is, but, but you look smooth, but, but, but now he's not as smooth. Now, now he's limping. And so he lost his normal gait, but he won or he gained spiritually, right? Now he was broken, not only physically broken, but, but notice that in in Hosea uh, 12 verse four, that notice that he wept. As he sought favor from the Lord, he was weeping. He was a broken man, not just physically because of his hip, but he was broken. That self-willed man was broken. That man who was sufficient or thought he was in and of himself, where he thought he had to deceive people, that, that man is broken now. But again, he gained, he won spiritually. He came out with the blessing. He came out of the wrestling match with a new identity. And my prayer for all of us is like, like Jacob, if any of you are wrestling right now with the Lord, or you get to that point where you do enter a wrestling match with the Lord, not physically, of course, but maybe mentally, emotionally, spiritually, my, my prayer is that you'll come out of your wrestling match with God better, although you'll suffer a loss. In other words, my prayer is that if you're in a wrestling match with the Lord, is that your pride will take a hit. Your pride will be broken. So you suffer that loss, but you'll come out humble. My prayer is that your belief that you're in control will take a hit, that you'll lose that. But then you'll come out understanding that God is sovereign. Uh, my prayer is that your self-sufficiency will take a loss, but then you'll come out depending on the Lord or trusting in him more than ever. My prayer for you, if you're in a wrestling match with the Lord, is that your so-called wisdom will take a hit or will be lost or will take a loss in that, but that you'll come out seeking more of the wisdom of God. Your belief in your invisibility, I pray, will be lost. But then I pray you'll come out of that wrestling match relying more on the Lord's protection 
I pray that if you're in a wrestling match with the Lord, that your stubbornness will be lost. You'll take a loss there, but that you'll come out with a more surrendered heart to the ways and to the will of God. And in short, my prayer for you, if you're in this wrestling match with the Lord, is that you'll come out more spiritually mature and blessed overall. Now, for those of us who who have made it to the other side of the so-called wrestling match with God, we, we can thank God for our limp that we've come out with. And the limp are those things that will help us to always remember our encounter with him. Like, like the removal of something you used to trust in. That could be your limp. Maybe you used to trust in money, but God has wiped everything away. And so the rest of your life, yes, you have what you need, but you're not as rich as you used to be in material things. Maybe that's your limp. The, your limp is things that remind you to trust in him daily as the worship team takes the stage. But also for those of us who come out of the other side of this wrestling match with God, we can also thank him for our blessings. Like Jacob came out blessed. We came out with some blessings out of this wrestling match, hopefully. Hopefully you're, you're blessed with more spiritual maturity. You're blessed with more clarity of his will for your life. You're, you're blessed now with his strength in your, in your weakness. You're blessed with more wisdom and more understanding. So we can thank God for the limp, those things that remind us to trust in him. We can thank him for our blessings. And if you're an unbeliever wrestling with God, well, I pray for you as well that you'll come out on the other side thanking God for a new limp. Thanking God for new blessings. And as a new believer, thanking God for your new identity along with the current believers. And these things will be the case for you when you surrender and put your trust in Jesus for salvation. And that's, that's a word for the person who has not yet put their trust in Jesus. But I leave you with the question. Is there, is there anybody wrestling with God? Maybe you're wondering why something was allowed to happen to you that you don't think you deserve or or maybe there's some theological question you have. You're, you're just wrestling with God. Is there anybody in that place? If you are, I would, I would encourage you to allow God to conquer whatever it is in your heart and mind that is causing you to wrestle with him. Allow him to conquer that and come to the understanding that God knows what he's doing. And, and so you'll be better off being in line with him than going against him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are and what you are to us. I pray for those who are wrestling, Lord, that they would get to that point of surrender, that they'll get to that point of allowing you to conquer whatever it is they're holding on to. Whatever it is, they need to take a loss in. And that they will find themselves on the winning team, your side that they will come out better, not bitter. I pray that you use my brothers and sisters in Christ this week for your glory. And for any unbeliever, may you draw them to Jesus. May you bless us, Lord, as we travel home. May you be glorified in our homes. May you be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.